Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk, yes, again, about USC Trojan football. Do I sound a little tired? Do I sound a little down or not? Yes, this is my fifth podcast since Saturday. Crazy. But you guys have sent in so many questions. I didn't want them to go to waste. I wanted to make sure we got to them all. So I'm doing a solo podcast today. I had an emergency podcast on Saturday that was solo. We had to talk about the... You know, aftermath right after the Friday night game. We had Harvey Hyde on Sunday. We had Dan Weber on Monday. I did a podcast of champions, Pac-12 podcast. That was two hours yesterday, uh, on a Monday. And then we're going to do, I don't know, hopefully not more than an hour today. You got a lot of questions still. So we want to try to get to them all. And uh, that's why we're doing another solo podcast. We still have Keely and Shotgun's Family Feud podcast coming up later this week. And we talked about doing a recruiting podcast, so it could be an epic record week for podcasts here at the Peristyle Podcast slash uscfootball.com. Um, your questions, you can send those into podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text our number, 424-254-9141. Like I said, keep them brief. We want to get up to the point. Let me know who you want the questions to be for. The reason I'm doing all these questions today because a whole bunch of questions came in that weren't directed to anybody. So I'm going to try to take them all and answer it myself. So if you wanted Coach Harvey Hodge or you wanted Dan or me or Keely or Shotgun or if it's a recruiting question for Gerard, make sure you say who the question is for. And then subscribe to it. I'm not sure how you listen to it. People listen to it all different ways. Some are on their computer, some on their you know phone, when they're jogging, in the car, whatever it is. But Wherever you listen, subscribe. If you can subscribe on iTunes or whatever um, podcast app you're on, leave us some positive feedback. That always helps the show, lets more people know about it. This is our 10th football season, which is absolutely crazy that we've been doing this this long. It's grown by leaps and bounds, and we're just getting tons and tons of listeners, and we do appreciate uh, all that. It's fun. They're fun to do. It's kind of therapeutic at times. And, uh Yeah. I know you guys enjoy it. People everywhere I go, people come up to me and say, Hey, I listen to you on the podcast, which doesn't make sense because they can't see me on the podcast, but for whatever reason, they recognize that. So we appreciate it all. Um, you know, it would be doing it a long time and hope, I hope you guys like it. And, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So I wanted to, we got a little bit of news, uh, to start off with. So I was on the, the PAC 12 does a, uh, media, uh, head coaching, uh, conference call on Tuesday mornings and, uh, you hear from all the coaches today. Actually, I heard from, uh, Luke Falk too. Sometimes I'll put like a star player in there and not a lot usually comes out of this. Um, usually it's like, you know, out of town media that don't really get to talk to the coaches all that often. Um, you don't usually hear like LA media based people in there asking questions. I kind of tuned in today because there was some stuff happening and I was hoping this came up, which it did. Um, so after the game, uh, if you looked, there was some video posted, I think it was by kookfan.com. They're part of Scout 247 also, where players were running off the field and students or, or fans, Washington State fans, were running onto the field. 
And there was a collision between one of the USC football players, looked like an offensive line, but I can't, it was grainy, hard to tell, and a uh, Washington State fan, we assume it was a Washington State fan running onto the field, and completely plowed over the Washington State fan. Um, now, some people reporting, it looked like he did it intentionally. I mean, it was hard to tell for me. I wasn't sure what was going on. But there was basically people running one way, you know, the, the players running towards the tunnel one way, and then kind of at a perpendicular angle, a lot of fans running the other way, and the two paths collided. Um, now, did he push the guy, knock him down? I mean, I, it was hard for me to tell. That's what people are insinuating uh, that happened. And someone asked uh, Clay Helton about that today. He said he was aware of the situation. He said that it's going to be taken care of internally, internal discipline. And that's all he was going to say. So he didn't identify who the player was. Um, and he also didn't, uh, won't say what's going to happen to the player. So apparently USC felt that this was something that was done intentional that could have been avoided. Otherwise there wouldn't be any discipline or, you know, I don't know. That, that's what Clay Helton said. Um, there was talk like a, some radio station and like Spokane talk about a potential lawsuit. Um, or not a lawsuit, a, uh, criminal charges, like a misdemeanor where they said it could even be a felony depending on how is, and it's like, that just seems like ridiculous to me. Um, some people, some people ask me about this on Twitter, so I'll just kind of talk real quick. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like the, you know, if you're a, you're robbing somebody's house and you slip on, on their floor, it's wet and you want to sue them because you were in their house robbing them. Um, the, the Washington state got fined $25,000 for having people rush the field. You got to prevent that. They didn't. And you got a fine that Washington state fan should not have been there. Um, the USC fan of the USC player, if he if he did that intentionally, certainly should not have done that. If they're both just running and they knock into each other or something, I mean, that's tough. You shouldn't have been there in the first place. It's one of those things like if you you fall in the lion's den and then you get mad that he's, you know, trying to eat you. Um, so they should have been there. If the player did it on purpose, um, yeah. They certainly should have done that. You know, if you can try to avoid things, we're always taught when we're around football players, like we're on the sidelines and stuff and they're running at you coming out of bounds or something. Don't move. Like let them, they're athletic. Let them make a move around you. Um, in this case, they're both, I mean, literally running and there, there was a collision course there. The question is when the player got there, did he give him a little extra, which I think a lot of people think they did. And if, if he got disciplined, then he most likely did. Um, my, like people ask like, yeah. So if he did that intentionally, he shouldn't do it. Sympathy level is not very high, though, when you're someplace you're not supposed to be. The players are trying to get off the field. And uh, I know our, our Keely Yor and Dan Weber that were on the field there uh, did not feel safe with everybody raining down and stuff. So, uh, But that was just so a little bit of news there. I'm not sure. We go to practice a little bit later today. I am not sure if Clay Helton will address it any further. He made it sound like it was internal and that was it. And that's probably all we're going to uh Find out about that, but I just a little bit of news I wanted to share with you. And before we jump into all the questions, I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor, Zip Recruiter. So are you, are you in need of great talent for your business, but you're short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. All you need is the right tools, smarter tools. So how is Zip Recruiter different? With Zip Recruiter, you get to post your job over 100 websites at the leading job boards with just one click. So it's, you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen. By the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts in a smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting. So you receive the best possible matches. 
That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. Uh, no wonder 80% of employees or employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. So it acts really fast. It is the smartest way, ZipRecruiter, to hire somebody. So find out today what ZipRecruiter has been used, uh, why it's been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find out the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, all the Peristyle Podcast listeners, you can post a job on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash USC. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash USC. One more time. Try for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash USC. All right. So, like I said, questions came in. A lot of them. I mean, man, I'm looking at this list. It's long. We've already did a whole bunch of questions on Saturday. We did a whole bunch of questions on Sunday. A whole bunch of questions on Monday. And we got more again today. So, it's great. We love that you're sending them in. Just know there's a lot of competition. So, you know, if they're short, concise, they're good. There's something funny in there. They're more most likely to get read. We try to get to them all. It's just really hard because there's so many. Now, I've said that a lot. And then maybe this is why I got this voicemail. Yes, uh, this is Nick calling. Uh, it just seems like you guys are uh, bothered by the questions. I mean, this is what the uh, podcast is all about. I was complaining about the show went an hour. Oh, my God, it's too long, I guess, to talk about all the issues the team's having. So maybe get rid of it if it's too much for you. Nick, thanks, man. That's a, that's a nice voicemail. Um, okay. Let's talk about a few things here. One, not complain, not complaining about the questions. It's great that we have so much interaction. It is a question driven show. Now, you said that's what the podcast is all about. Not all podcasts are all about that. A lot of podcasts you don't, we're a Q and A driven podcast. A lot of people have emailed in and are like, why don't you just guys talk? And we'd rather not hear some of the crazy questions that get sent in. We've just been, you know, there's different, um, you know, radio shows. If you were like a Paul Feinbaum fan, it's a caller driven show. That's what drives the show. He does some interviews and stuff, but it's mostly about the questions. Um, uh, like when I get an interview, we do that. It's, you know, we'll do some questions, but for the most part, it's me talking to the whoever I'm interviewing. Uh, there's other shows that are no questions at all. So like Colin Cowherd, he never gets calls, you know, so it just depends. It's not what the show is all about. Our show happens to be Q and A driven. Um, sometimes I'd like it to be a little less Q and A driven, but it's just, that's just the way it has evolved over the last 10 years. And you guys keep sending the questions in. So not, um, bashing questions, not upset that we're getting questions. It is a lot. So I'm just trying when you send them in, we would like you to do it in a way that we could actually use the questions. If there, there's just so many, the pure volume, it just takes a lot of time. Um, so, and these are free. So if you don't like to listen, you don't have to, you don't pay for these at all. These are all free. Uh, we'll do some recruiting ones that are uh, behind the paywall, but, um, yeah. So hopefully that, uh, kind of answered your, <laughs> your question there. It's not about we're complaining. We're getting too many questions. We, it's not the nature of the questions. It's really just, there's a, there's a huge volume of them. And I, I, the best thing I did was, uh, get our intern Connor to start editing them and, uh, putting them together for me because doing it myself when you got to run the site and everything else, it's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes into all these, you know, however, if I'm talking for an hour or two, uh, there's preparation and, and editing time and all that kind of stuff too, that goes around it. So, um, they, they take a lot of time. I like doing them. I wouldn't do them if I didn't like them. Uh, you guys obviously like them cause we're getting just record numbers of listeners and all of that. 
Uh, but it's not about we not like the questions. We, we definitely love questions. Uh, just want to make sure people send them in, uh, in the right way. Speaking of questions, we've got, uh, we got a first time caller. Uh, we want to play his voicemail here. Hi, Ryan. This is Tim from Hawaii. Love your podcast with Coach Hyde, DW, and others. I'm a graduate and hardcore USC football fan. Long time listener, first time caller. I'm frustrated beyond words. I speak for many hardcore Trojan fans when we simply want an explanation for our inept offensive schemes, personnel rotations, and play calling. Why do we still not have a jumble package in short yardage situations? We supposedly have all these four- and five-star offensive linemen, and we look soft much of the time. We don't get off the ball and maul people like Alabama and Stanford do. What happened to our two-back set with Bavai and Aka? It was a no-show versus Wazoo. We don't call screens or draws or counterplays to keep the defense honest and guessing. And Coach Hyde, you're right. Why do we even recruit tight ends if we don't use them? When our running backs get blown up in the backfield, most of the time it's because our tight end has not executed his block. Again, soft. And Coach Helton just said, he has great confidence in T. Martin's play calling. Geez, I've seen high schools with better offensive schemes. As always, fight on forever, Trojan for life, mahalo. Well, mahalo for the question uh, from Hawaii. Awesome stuff. Uh, great, great insights and stuff there. Yeah. Um, so but I get about the offensive scheme and philosophy and all of that. Uh, I, you know, people want to, they, people want to run plays that are part of a different sort of scheme. Like the way this works, it's mostly out of the shotgun. There's a, you know, a bunch of pistol handful of plays are under center. They've mixed in some two back sets, but like a jumbo package, they have a fullback on the roster, but they don't typically use them all that much it's it's kind of like a play or two here or there people want to see like hey let's run you know i formation and play action and they're like that's not what this the off the philosophy of this offense uh is and so i know a lot of usc fans get frustrated because that's typically that's not like the historic uh you know traditional sort of offense that usc is running where does it all come from you know it's hard to say because when, you know, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sharkeesian were here, like that's the way offense was sort of going. Like it's different than what they were doing under Norm Chow. And you never felt like they were taught under some spread offense sort of guru that they became, they were disciples of. It was more of just like kind of picking stuff up as they went. And, you know, it's a, it's a different thing. And I, I've never felt like there's this strong presence of what this offense is at any time. Cause Clay Hilton was, you know, assistant under both Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. Um, it wasn't, I don't know. It just never felt like this was this, you know, like you knew what like Norm Chow was doing. Um, and he would have like disciples of him. There's, there's a lot of guys that have had like, there's like the head of the pyramid and this is an offensive philosophy that a lot of people, you know, learned under and then taught other people. And I just never got that feeling from this. It just seems like it's, it's a little disjointed. Um, but when you're calling out for stuff, that's, you know, 
you, stuff you would usually run in a, in a different, uh, philosophy, a different style of offense. It's just not this, what this style is. So you're not seeing a lot of that. And, uh, I know it's frustrating. Uh, you'd like to see the tight ends more. There's a lot of stuff that just seemed to be very grab baggy. We've, we've talked about this on other shows and it's, this is really the most popular topic. Um, play calling and the offensive philosophy. And I, you know, will clay, I talked to Dan Weber about this yesterday. Clay Helton's basically told us nothing's going to change. Like they just have to do things better. Is something going to change behind closed doors that he's not throwing coaches under the bus? We will see. Um, we want to talk this week, uh, that the coaches, we're going to talk to them later today about like how the plays get called. Is Tyson Helton, you know, doing the third down stuff and all that. It just, there could be a little bit, a little disjointed when you have two people sort of running the show as opposed to one. Now, whoever that would be, um, you'd think it would be better just with one person than when, with people sharing, but we'll see. But go, great question. Thanks for the stuff from Hawaii. We're going to move on to a text question. He said, Hey, Ryan, long time listener, first time writing in. I wanted to give, uh, give my take on the Washington State football game. The Trojan defense came in, uh, after four physical games and with the injuries that they had sustained and the amount of time that they were on the field played admirably. The offense was missing two of their three starting receivers and Deontay was playing injured. Uh, they were missing three of their five starting uh, offensive linemen, their starting tight end, and a number two running back. This would put a wrench in anybody's game plan. Uh, didn't leave a name, but thanks for the text message. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at it in that way, for sure, there's a bunch of injuries. There's uh, there's is- There were certainly issues there. But we've seen that the main issue is Sam Darnold was still out there. He's the, he's what makes this whole thing work, right? He's the most important cog. We've seen other teams go to their second and third string quarterback with injuries, plus other injuries around the team. I mean, Oregon this past weekend, they lost Justin Herbert, superstar, and his backup, uh, Taylor Alley. They lost Royce Freeman, their, their number one running back, like the, one of the best running backs in the conference, if not the best. And they still played and they still were, you know, looking good and they still won. I think you could, USC didn't look good in this game, even though it was close, even though they almost won this game. Um, you could argue they didn't deserve to win this game the way they were playing. Yes, there were injuries. The good thing for USC is you got four and five star guys replacing anyone that was injured. Now, is it whose fault is it that a lot of these guys that were on the bench have never played in a game or never played offense or wherever because USC wasn't rotating and getting other guys in and, and couldn't put teams away so you could get an opportunity to do that in certain situations. I mean, that's on USC also. Um, and then, you know, so I think some of it's self-inflicted. There's injuries for sure. But you can't just say, ah, there, there's an injury. They lost a running back and there's no, I mean, you got great running backs after, uh, you know, Stephen Carr and you got great offensive linemen after that. And I think they, I think more than the top eight, I think, expecting like eight guys to be pretty good on the offensive line is all right. And I feel like those are the eight that the eight that have played, they feel good about. Um, now you'd rather not get thrown in there right away. And, and, you know, but it was a smallish Washington state offensive line. These guys should have been able to push them around a little bit, you know, and, and they got out schemed. And I think a lot of that's on coaching. So yes, there's injuries. I think there was a lot of coaching issues and that's uh, kind of what the problem is. Let's see. Jay and Pomona says, first and goal on the two yard line. We can't score with all our weapons. Have our coaches heard of the QB sneak or how about bring in the lone fullback as a lead blocker? Thanks for letting us all vent. Hey, Jay. Yeah. No, that's, 
part of it is a lot of venting. And I think people just want to hear their concerns and questions, uh, you know, talked about on the podcast. And I know that's a lot of, a big reason why you guys send stuff in. Yeah. Not scoring there. And it was funny on the Clay Hilton conference call. He talked about the times they did score. Um, he was like, yeah, we were inside the five and scored two out of the three times. Like you're inside the five. You should score three out of three times. Um, it was, uh, it was bad. That was a horrible series. Um, I like to see, you know, teams get under center and the short yardage things. And, you know, USC typically doesn't do that. You know, it's fine, but that's like we said, like I said earlier, that's the philosophy. Um, the philosophy is not to go bring in an extra offensive. Like they don't do what Stanford does. They, they talk about wanting to do some stuff Stanford does, but not like that. Um, and yes, the fullback. Yeah. He does. You don't see a lot of action. Uh, poor Ruben Peters. You just don't see a lot of action for him, uh, at the fullback. So sorry about that, but that's, uh, that's just kind of the way it goes, uh, with this USC team. And, uh, that's, we'll see if things change. We, like I said, we asked Clay Helton if things were going to change. He says he's not going to panic. He's just going to keep going forward and, uh, go from there. All right. So let's get to our email questions because there's a lot. Um, Let's see. We, we are a fine, this is from Lamar. We are a fine family. I believe that less injuries, adjustments and short yardage and third down play calling would have resulted in a W. There are elite coaches in our conference and Hilton has the least experience. Clay and his staff have beaten Chris Peterson and David Shaw. Those are two of the top 10 coaches nationally. They will improve and learn. They got a good look at, uh, at Wazoo and will not lose to them next season. I'd like to see them utilize some of the offensive strategy to get backs outside like Leach does. Lastly, who in our conference has had a tougher schedule to date? Lamar in the high desert. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's some tough stretches. Like if you look at like Utah, they got a, a pretty stuff, uh, tough stretch coming up. Um, USC certainly playing all the bowl game teams and playing back to back road games six days apart. I think you would say that's the, uh, the hardest one so far. And Clay Hilton has beat Chris Peterson and David Shaw straight up. Um, Mike Leach is two and one against USC during his tenure at Washington State. And, uh, they might get another shot at him, you know, if they're able to make a run. I think the, the problem is that you're saying that, um, they're going to improve. Uh, they, they will improve and learn. Last year at this time, it looked like they were improving after even the loss to, to Utah. It looked like things were getting better. They don't look like they're getting better right now. And then they weren't playing that well when all the guys were in there. Now you got injuries and they're still not playing that well. And you're, you're, you're playing worse. I think you needed to be playing at a higher level. So you could, you could, uh, sustain some injuries. They're, they weren't playing well enough with all the talent that they had on the field. Then you talk about injuries and it's just going to even make it worse. So yeah, some of it's injuries, but not all of it. I don't think, I, I think a lot of it's just the way they're playing and preparation and all of that i think some things have to change and uh you saw things change last year and it started working they were stinky they were one and three and they had made changes and it was working they're kind of stinky now but they're four and one so it's a little different <laughs> it's a little just a different philosophy that i think i feel they have to make some changes harry the cost of continued poor coaching will guarantee more losses and also speed up sam's decision to leave next year for the nfl which I don't think is his first choice. He is looking for the continued development of his game. Harry is a season ticket holder since 1978. Uh, Harry, I hope you get to keep your tickets after the, the renovation, but we won't go into that. Um, 
yeah, there's different philosophies. Pe- people that say they know what Sam's doing or he's leaning this way, I don't think they know what they're talking about. Um, I don't think he talks about it. I don't, just his personality. I don't think that's something he's discussing with people, even like his coaches, like maybe with his family. And that would be about it. So I don't think people know if he's leading, but I think if they're not doing well and he, specifically he's not doing well, there's no reason to leave that. If you're not playing well, people aren't going to draft you anymore. So, um, I don't think he's going to be the high pick. If he, pl- if he plays like he's played so far, he's got nine touchdowns and eight interceptions. He's not going to be high pick. There's every reason he should stay. Um, it's not because, you know, if, if it's really that he hates the, the development, the coaching and all that kind of stuff, then maybe you'd go, but you're really kind of hurting your game there too. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Let's see. Uh, let's go to, this is Ryan in Culver City. Thanks for all the great work on behalf of the Trojan family. The emergency podcast was exactly what the doctor ordered for my Trojan loss hangover on Saturday morning. Well, thank you, Ryan. I'm glad you like that. Uh, I really hope Clay's inward approach with his staff away from the media is different from his outward approach when it comes to play calling and those doing it. Clay's an offensive guy. He has to know how bad some of these decisions were. I haven't uh, got through the the Coach Hyde podcast yet, but I'm waiting for you to address the flea flicker. Uh, when we were up 7-3 to three with a chance to really put our foot on their throat, if we have 100 plays in our playbook, that would have been my 100th choice at that point in the game. Such an obviously bad call. We were taking control of the game at that point. That's not us. We're terrible at gadget plays. We run two so far this season, and we looked equally inept in running both. We fooled nobody, committed what would maybe the first ever grounding penalty on a flea flicker, and got our only healthy offensive tackle hurt. Uh, epic fail that will likely cost up a game with the Chuma, inju- with the Chuma inju- uh, injury. Couple that with the play calling on the first and goal series after the Nwusu play, and T is rightfully on the hot seat. Uh, just inexcusable and bad play calling. Felt like we were trying to keep Wazoo in the game. Had to use an overused expression, or hate to use an overused expression, but it feels like we're playing checkers while coaches like Leach are playing chess. Shouldn't be that way at USC. So disappointing. Look forward to your thoughts on what T was possibly thinking in those situations. Thanks, Ryan at Culver City. Yeah, Ryan, um, I think we talked, we probably talked about this on the podcast too. Yeah, I thought the flea flicker was absolutely abysmal. Uh, just a horrible play call. I think USC was, was rolling. Um, that first drive looked great. They were doing a quick passing game. They were, they were getting in the pistol formation where they normally run and doing some play action. And it was very effective. It was a mostly, it was a pass oriented first drive. Then they kind of like started to get cute and got away from it. And that play call where you get a bad penalty, you know, Darnold's taking a hit, throwing balls out of bounds. Chuma Doga gets hurt. It looked like Steven Carr might have even been hobbled a little bit on that. I'd have to, I'm going to have to go back and, and watch it for a third time and, and make sure. But yes, that was just an abysmal play call. Just not the right thing, not the right time. Um, yeah, I agree with you 100%. The inside, yeah, after the, the Uchenna fumble, I mean, that was awful. Targeting Josh Fallow, who, um, never been targeted in his life. You're talking about such a critical situation. I like to go, I mean, they're always about trust. Like you're talking about defensive players never even get to play until Clancy Pendergast trusts them. Um, I don't know why they've done critical downs, third downs, fourth downs thrown to guys that have never caught a ball before. Like that doesn't seem right. You know, like they're, he's trusting Tyler Vaughn's, which I was saying from the very beginning, he should have been trusting Tyler Vaughn's because he's that good. You know, 
But I liked it at least on third or fourth and 13, although third and 13 call was awful too. But fourth and 13, they're like, hey, throw it to a guy that can catch. Like, that's good. Tyler Vaughn's throw it up there. Let him go make a grab. He did. And you look better for it. You throw it to guys that have never, not even been targeted in a game before on a critical down like that. It's just like a throwaway down. Like, you this team's not good enough right now to have throwaway plays, you know, and they have a lot of them. And that's bad. David from behind the orange curtain. Is there any independent information or feedback uh, getting inside of the coach's bubble? Is there any acknowledgement that something is wrong? All we seem to be getting is happy talk after a poor performance. All right, okay, if you remember last year, um, when USC was one and two and they lost to Utah and Clay Helton was very upbeat after that game. And you're, I was like scratching my head, like, what are you talking about? And actually when we, we did a, Dan and I did a video interview with him. He came over to, uh, it was really nice that he came over to Trader Joe's. Uh, right before the season, uh, the end of fall camp and we interviewed him and I told him that like, I don't know what the heck you were talking about coach. Like what, what was that, that you were so happy, but he knew that the team was improving, getting better. And he saw it, even though USC lost to Utah and Sam Darnold was going to be special. And all, he, he saw that coming and then they rattled off 13 wins in a row after that. Um, I'm not seeing that same sort of thing now, but he's not, he's not throwing any of the coaches under the bus. So we'll find out, I think more this week. David, um, what, what's going on? Do anything changes? We'll, we'll try to ask as many questions as we can and figure things out. Um, uh, we might not know. Uh, I don't think they're going to share a lot. So we'll try to get creative and see what we can find out. But yes, it's, uh, we're, there's a little bit of protection going on as far as information goes. Um, I don't think they, they want to share a lot. If they're going to make changes, they're not telling us. Uh, I get the fact that. You don't want to panic after one loss. I mean, that completely makes sense, what Clay Helton was saying. But it's not just the one loss. It's almost losing, needing miracles at the end of games to win, where you probably shouldn't need that. So there does seem to be a problem. The people that were complaining when USC was 4-0 saw these problems. Um, you know, we talked about it. We You see problems still, but you feel like, and I felt they were going to get better against Washington State, just play well, like they did against Stanford. And I was wrong. They did not. Um, so there's problems. Um, and, uh, we'll see, maybe it takes another loss. Maybe it takes a, uh, a poor performance against an, a really bad Oregon state team that some changes are made. But as of right now, at least on the surface, it doesn't look like the changes are happening. We got Don in Dubai. Love the international questions, Don. He said, I see similarities between the Rams and USC. Last year, the Rams looked pathetic, mainly on offense, which made their defense work harder and get beat. New coach, particularly a new OC. Rams look like an entirely different team. Hopefully next year, USC can duplicate that turnaround. Oh, so you're advocating getting rid of Clay Helton next year. T. Martin has had enough time to show improvement in play calling. He still sucks. Also, play like you practice, holding true for USC. Offensive line is getting beat up in games. They're not used to physic to being physical during the week. Post-game interviews. Hawkins said schemes beat them. Darnold said Washington State execution was better than USC. Sounds like players are insinuating something to me. Don still in Dubai. Well, hope you're having fun over there in Dubai, Don. And thanks for listening to our little show all the way thousands of miles away. Um, I think for the Rams, it was you had a defensive coach and he's not quarterback friendly coach. And you bring in an offensive minded coach for your brand new young first, you know, pick overall quarterback. And it's worked really well. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a philosophy thing where what do you, you can't, you can't emphasize everything when you're a head coach and they're emphasizing offense because it's a young offensive mind and he kind of, that's, that's his philosophy and it, you're seeing it work and they're, they're three and one right now, I believe. So, you know, good for the Rams. Uh, not so good for the Chargers who are in LA. Uh, it's, <laughs> they look pretty bad. It's not Chargers bad, USC fans. So you're, you're not there. Um, yeah, there's, I, I, I don't know about on the defensive side about schemes and stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty content with what Clay Helton and, uh, Clancy Pendergast do on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they gave up 30 points. It's not great, but it wasn't horrible. It's certainly a winnable game. USC should score more than 30 points. It's not an amazing, I think it's pretty good Washington State defense, but they could have overpowered that defense and they had chances early. Uh, they should have been up 21 to 10 and they weren't. And they, they let that team hang around and they had the ball for way longer. USC couldn't convert on third downs and defense will get tired too. And, you know, gave up some plays late in the half, late in the game. Um, so I'm not putting a lot of this on the schemes, but certainly on the offensive side, uh, you didn't feel like players were put in a position, the best position possible to win. And then you got all the injuries on top of that. And it just makes it worse. Let's see. We've got Brian and Beham. Uh, what's good, Ryan? Checking in from, from the SEC country, SEC fan and SEC country. Lose a game and the real feelings show. When Helton won the Rose Bowl, there was no negative talk about the staff. Actually, I kind of think there was, Brian, but not too much. Um, now the team is four and one and not winning by margin suitable for the fans. There's talk of coaches that should be replaced. Why is this? It's basically the same staff with the exception of the running backs coach. This includes you also, Ryan. After listening to your emergency podcast, you made some vague comments about coaching being replaced. Uh, do overall, due to overall team performance. Why be vague? Own it if that's how you feel. There have been some questionable offensive play calling, but overall these kids are four and one with attrition really taking its toll. Once the, the team turns it around, please stand by your opinions. I'm proud of these kids. Fight on Brian. Hey, Brian, I always stand by my opinions. And, uh, you know, I felt there were some changes that probably needed to be made last year. I mean, there's, and I think sometimes you get proven right. Sometimes you get proven wrong. Um, what I really liked about the one new coach they brought in, uh, Dylan McCullough, was he had zero ties to USC. There was no nepotism when it came to hiring him. Uh, and he's been great. You could argue he's been the best assistant coach, uh, there is. Are there spots in, you know, around the, this roster or around the coaching staff that you could do that to as well? I, I think you could. Um, for me, I'm not one that's saying I like T Martin a lot. Um, I like Tyson Helton a lot. Are they both trying to do a job together that's not working? I mean, it's not even like getting rid of somebody. It's, Hey, you're calling the plays or you're calling plays, not a shared duty. Um, maybe that would help things. Um, maybe bringing in someone that, uh, you know, has this philosophy that they've you know, learned under gurus of the, of our sport. Um, and brought it up and taught other people at bringing someone like that in that could to you know run the offense or whatever. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think something like that can always be helpful, but I'm not saying, yeah, you should fire this guy. You should fire that guy. Uh, where do I think this team's underperforming? Um, I think really the special teams area and the tight ends, uh, that's, that's John Baxter territory. I think that's been underperforming quite a bit. I think it's a uh, special teams uses a lot of resources as far as practice time and scholarships. And the results we're seeing on the field are not up to par. They're, they're below average at best. 
and the amount of resources you have a dedicated special teams coach. I, you know, is that, I stand by that. I bet I've talked about that many times. So, um, I'm not saying you should go fire John Baxter. I'm saying that's a group that needs to get better. Uh, Tyson Helton, like him a lot. Sam Darrell's not playing well right now. Uh, what's going on there? Is it with the play calling? Is it, um, you know, his development? I'm not sure, but there's, that's where you got to ask questions. I think you can ask questions about the coaches more than players. Coaches are there to get, they, they get paid. They pay well. They're doing a job. I think it's, it's fair to be more critical of them than you're talking about, uh, an 18 year old, like offensive lineman that's playing in the game for the first time. Um, you know, with Neil Calloway, uh, too, it's hard to get much out of him. He doesn't really talk very much. You can't really get a feel for what he's doing. Um, but so you just have to kind of look and see what's happening on the field. And there, you know, a lot of guys getting banged up looked a little confused coming in there. Um, there's, yeah, I think there's plenty of, um, you know, criticism to, to go around uh, when you're talking about the staff, but yeah, um, that's, that's what I said on the emergency podcast, Brian. I think that's what I'm, I'm saying here too. It is what I'm saying here too. And I'll, you know, I'll continue to say, it. you know, things change. Um, we'll see if different position groups get things turned around, but, um, I think part of the knock on Clayton is he's such a nice guy. Is he going to make the tough decisions? He made some tough decisions after he got the job and he fired the defensive coaching staff. If you go look back on this season and the play calling continues to be terrible, I mean, and you got to make a decision on that or especially whatever it is, whatever position it is, if you feel the linebackers stink or if you feel the whole defense, whatever it is, whatever position group or side of the ball that you feel is underperforming, do you go through and say, I'm making a change here? Um, and we, you know, we haven't really seen him do that since the, you know, when he, when he got hired on, but he did make tough decisions then. So I assume he's going to be, you know, be able to do them now. He's just the kind of guy that's very good. He's not going to be throwing people under the bus. If he's, if he is upset with the play calling, like people have mentioned, he's not telling us. Um, that would be an internal thing. Charles and Torrance, uh, I want you to do a compare analysis on Christian Rector and Porter Gustin. I believe Porter played in two and a half games while Christian started two games. Solo tackles, Christian and Porter were similar. However, tackles for loss, Christian has 4.5 for 28 yards for loss while Porter has three for 12 yards for loss. Christian has more forced fumbles than Porter. We like to rave about Porter's work uh, out in the the routine gym rat, but um, he's been outplayed by his backup. Christian has given the defense the line more life. He also has made the big plays. I just don't want to see that the coaches be comfortable with the starters who started the season and look more deeply on who's making more of an impact. Comments, please. Charles and Torrance. Okay, Charles. Um, first of all, uh, Christian's not Porter's backup. But he's a guy that was coming in. He was uh, basically a defensive tackle backup for Josh Fatu. And he was coming in on third down. So even before, you know, so when Porter was in there, Christian was in there too, getting third down reps. So there's pass rush opportunities, opportunities for tackles for loss and things like that. So he was playing while Porter was playing. It's not like a, a swap out one for the other. So he played these two games. He's played these two games. And here's the stats. Hard to really compare um, that, you know. Porter Gustin got two sacks when he had surgery on his foot and was bleeding through his shoe and he still got two sacks in that game. So for you, like, yeah, I wouldn't say (laughs) that. I mean, it's hard. He got injured and was still playing and still was producing. Um, He couldn't come back in the second half of that game. Probably shouldn't have played at all in that game. Uh, Ended up getting the, uh, the muscle tear and all that kind of stuff too. So we'll see. But as far as, 
as Christian Rector goes, I don't think it's an either or sort of thing. I think he's earned his time there. He's earned his trust. He's made some huge plays, the Texas strip, sacks, big sacks. Christian Rector has proven he needs to be on the field. And what's good about Clancy Pendergast and his schemes are Christian Rector is not a predator, right? Like that's not his position. And they basically change the defense. They're like, you know, we want to get him in there. Porter's out. So they kind of change the front a little bit. So it's a different looking front now. Now he's playing like the spot, like on the field where Porter would be, but it's still, it's just like a different sort of field thing. So yes, I think Christian Rector will continue to play, uh, even when Porter Gustin comes back and be healthy. So if that's what you're worried about, but to do like a head to head comparison when they don't even play the same position and, you know, Rector was in there while Porter was in there, they've been on the field at the same time, uh, before. I don't think that's fair. Kevin in North Tustin. That's Dan Weber country, Kevin. Uh, this week during your mailbag podcast, someone asked a question about T Martin getting a head coaching job, perhaps Tennessee or elsewhere. Maybe it's just me, but I'm not, I'm not sure he's the guy people think he is. I agree. He's a hell of a recruiter, but the receivers have had a, have had drop issues for a number of years. And that's an issue again this season. Being an excellent recruiter is one thing, but how can you be a head coaching candidate with a play calling resume like this? Sam Darnold makes up for a lot of their offensive warts, uh, but man, something needs to change. So kind of more um, T. Martin talk. I'm just telling you what we have heard uh, a lot about T. Martin, and there's, his name has come up quite a bit. Um, I felt like if the offense struggles his second year as a play caller, it would make it harder for him to kind of get a job. A place like Tennessee... Is T. Martin's resume like good enough to be hired at Tennessee? No, I don't think so. But he's a lot, the last time they won a national championship, he was a quarterback. They got Peyton Vanning involved over there. They got Philip Fulmer back involved over there. Some people, my wife's a huge Tennessee fan. They're talking about firing Butch Jones and letting Phil Fulmer uh, be the interim head coach because he's there again. Um, so there's, you just don't know what some teams are going to do. It's not about, does he deserve this or qualified for this? It's about, you know, Clay Hilton, his resume wasn't, uh, what USC would hire, but he was there. He was like, you know, he was what the administration felt USC needed at the time. They knew who he was. He was there already. And that's the decision they made with. I think they know who T. Martin is. Um, if you're a good recruiter, that says a lot. Like that's a huge part of coaching. You could argue have the wide receivers performed, underperformed. There's a lot of dudes that, they were in the NFL um, that T. Martin coached at wide receiver. So I think you would look at that. I think you would look at him being a great recruiter. And those are two feathers in your cap already, right? Um, you look at the off, you know, USC won the Rose Bowl last year and they won nine games in a row and 13 overall. If the offense turns around, starts looking better, then it's not a knock. If the offense stinks the whole year, then I think that's going to be a knock on him. Um, but if it turns it around and Sam Darnold, makes a run at the Heisman again, if he gets things going and, and drops the, you know, stops the interceptions and throws a bunch of touchdowns. I mean, who knows? Um, I don't know what kind of job he would want. He would jump at the, I mean, who wouldn't, you know, jump at the opportunity to, to be the head coach of Tennessee. I don't know if they would go there. They've had such a string of uh, coaches that were underperforming. Um, but T Martin at least would bring some excitement back. There's a, there's a whole other factor of bringing T. Martin specifically for Tennessee. Now, if he's going to go somewhere else, like he coached at Kentucky, 
I'm not saying they have, you know, but there's a bunch of SEC jobs where guys are on the hot seat. I don't think like an A&M is going to hire them or an Arkansas uh, or an LSU if they don't like Orgeron. Like they're not going to take another USC assistant over there. Um, so I don't know what he's going to do. My guess would be Tennessee would be the place, the best opportunity he would ever, that he would get, at least right now with his resume. He might get a, a smaller head coaching job someplace else. I don't see him wanting to leave for like another offensive coordinator job. I don't know, you know, who would hire him for that too, but those are kind of my thoughts on Teague, which, you know, I love Teague, love talking to him all the time. He's a tireless recruiter. He's awesome at that. And you can't underestimate what people feel about that. If you're a great recruiter, it helps you get jobs. Ed Ordron is the head coach at LSU right now. Um, and him being a great recruiter is a huge part of that. Let's see. Percy T says, it seems this team is too predictable and fragile right now. What's going on with Darnold? He does not look right for some reason. Yeah, no, I don't think he looks right either. We've, we've mentioned this a number of times. Fragile, I don't know about. They just look, to me, it's look, it's, it looks like they're a little confused. They're just not, it's not sharp. Um, it's not a sharp organization right now. It's just things are a little bit sloppy and, it just doesn't look right. And Darnold's in that same boat. It just, he doesn't look like himself. Um, is there something physically wrong? They have not said that at all, ever. Um, could they, could there be something wrong and they're not telling us? Yeah. I mean, I think there could be just watching his body language. Keely talked about it. He doesn't run from drill to drill like he used to. He used to race Matt Fink from around the field. He's not doing that now. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll see, but. We got to learn more about him on the uh, Season of Sam podcast, <laughs> which maybe he talks about that at some point. But at this point, yeah, it's uh, I'm curious to see what happens on that podcast because they talk about wins all the time. And now you got to talk about a loss. Like this is probably why, I mean, I said it was not a great idea from the beginning and I love Yogi. I think Sam's awesome. And uh, I, the concept, I think it's kind of cool. To me, it's better like an off season sort of thing than an in season because now you're going to have stuff like this happening. They lose a game and what are you going to talk about? You lose two or three in a row. And it's like the season of Sam podcast just sounds silly at that point, but I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully it works out for those guys. Curtis Marino Valley. I'm watching the game and the score is 2020. Wow. This is during the game. I expect to win, but Sam needs to stop the podcast and all the appearances and concentrate on football. The cost of fame fight on Curtis and Marino Valley. I'm just going through these questions one by one. So I had no idea that I was going to mention the podcast and Curtis was going to talk about, um, first of all, I don't place any blame on Sam. This is not like I can guarantee you Sam Darnold did not come into like Tim Teslon's office and go, you know what, Tim, I really want to do a podcast like all about me. And I can like, you know, interview people and like, there's no way that came from him. The problem that I have with it is it's, this is not really his personality. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that's stopping anytime soon. Um, there was, you know, they'll, they'll stop certain things. Like there was some kind of a video game event that was supposed to happen on Monday night that that was going to be like a, kind of player media sort of appearance thing. And they actually canceled that, um, which I think was smart. Um, I don't see them canceling the season of Sam podcast, but you know, we'll see. I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm listening to it. So I mean, I, I can be critical of it, but I listen to it every week because yeah, I'm just curious to see how it how it develops and how it goes on. Last week was a little bit different. They didn't really have a uh, at someone for Sam to interview. It was basically Yogi interviewing uh, Sam Darnold. But 
Neil in Manila, another international question. Is it possible that Sam Darnold, uh, for Sam Darnold to win back his confidence and return to his form last season? Thanks for fight on. Oh my. Yeah. Neil, are you kidding me? Of course. Like he's a kid that hates losing. Like I, if you remember like the Tim Tebow rant back in like 2008 or something, lost to old miss. And he said, uh, we're never going to lose again. I've never going to work harder than this. I'm blah, 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 blah. And they went on, they won the rest of their games and won the national championship. Now that's not Sam's personality. He's not going to get up there and rant like that. But internally, that kills him. He hates to lose. That's not, he hates it. Like he's one of the most competitive people you're going to meet. He's going to work even harder. Um, something's off. Something's not right. And I think that's going to make him double his efforts to figure out what it is, work with the coaches, whatever he needs to do and move forward. So yeah, I, I totally think he can get back. The team, the guy you saw last year is not a fluke. Something's different. Um, it's not just injuries. It's not just new receivers. There's something else. And, uh, that's something they got to figure out. And maybe it was something that you weren't as, you didn't really want to address because you're still winning games and now you lose one and you, you know, you could lose another one. And then, you know, I think you got to do something. So we'll see. But thanks for the question, Neil. Robin in Virginia. Thanks for the emergency podcast. We really need, we really needed answers and it's time to hear someone try to make some sense of last night, even though it's hard to my question or to clarify my question. I don't think the coaches realize they, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think the coaches realize they suck at coaching. That's a little harsh, Robin. Uh, the way they conduct practice is just so they won't get more injuries, but they're not preparing for games and that affects the players. Uh, like you said, they play down to their opponent's level and finally got beat doing it. These kids have so much more potential and talent, but they can't make up for bad coaching forever. Is Darnold just a victim of circumstance in this offensive scheme? Last year, he did well despite the play calling. This year, it's just holding him back. I don't expect him to do it all by himself, but he only seems to be regressing. Helton even said the play calling was fine. What kind of head coach says that after a loss or even USC's ugly wins this season? Was it the execution then? Thanks, Robin from Virginia. Thanks, Robin. I think we talked a lot about that too. But yeah, we've been critical of some of the practices. Even and Dan brought up a good point. Even the summer workouts. We had a question on the podcast yesterday. The summer workouts were always awesome for us to go cover. Um, and the fans loved it. We've had NFL scouts write us. They love it. Like we put video up, all this stuff. They've limited that a lot. And they were only let us, letting us attend one per week. Now I think they still were probably practicing a little bit, but you know, just not telling us more than once a week. But those were opportunities for the quarterbacks and the receivers and the deep, everyone to kind of get on the same page and practice more. So that was limited, uh, this summer. We didn't really see them do the, post uh season winter workout practices they've kind of just taken some time off until uh spring ball started so that was cut back um you know no two a days but that's that's an ncaa thing no you know no padded the you know, full padded practice last week heading into washington state i feel you're right in the sense that they're making decisions based on we're trying to keep guys healthy well it's not working you're all, you're five games in and, and so many dudes are hurt my philosophy is you'd rather just go out and hit some people. When you're playing soft and you're playing to back off on the physicality of practice, I mean, that's, that's, that's one philosophy. I mean, there's different ways to do it. Clay Hilton will forget more about coaching football than I'll ever know, right? Who am I to say? But I'm just saying from a, from an outside observer, that would make sense to me, you know, and there might, maybe there's tons of really good reasons why they're not doing that. They're not apparent to me. I, I, I get the one of, you're trying to prevent injuries, but injuries are happening anyway. 
I mean, you could go completely opposite saying we got to hit in practice. Otherwise, you're going to get injured in games. And, you know, maybe that's coming to fruition. It's just hard to say, Robin. But thanks for the, uh, thanks for the question there. Uh, lots of good points. All right. We got another one from, uh, Robert in Virginia. Uh, he said, I know I've been asking a lot of questions. You don't have to answer it. No, that's cool, Robin. Um, I won't read the whole thing though. He's basically talking about Pac-12 officiating and having it out for USC. And I've, I've, this is what I say most of the time is, uh, yeah, that, the, well, the first of all, the offensive pass interference against, uh, Tyler Vaughn's was one of the worst calls I had seen. Um, and it's hard. You don't get a lot of traction when you cover a team and you're, you know, bitching about a call. Um, but that, that was one where national media were tweeting out the, um, the gif of it and stuff and showing like, so that was everybody basically knew that. So there's no way that the, the Pac-12 office can like ignore stuff like that. I would like to see more, um, transparency as far as like Clay Hilton saying, yeah, we, we went to the, the office and complained about these calls and here's what we heard. And, uh, I don't, I think there's limitations of what you can do, but he tries to avoid it like altogether. Um, I would definitely try to make a little bit more of an issue out of it. It's mostly to me, it's not like bias one way or the other. That's the incompetence. I think there was a bias in the Pete Carroll era. Um, the Pete Carroll teams, the, I mean, if you ask anyone that's, you know, it was a statistical anomaly that USC would be the most penalized teams and their opponent would be the least like every week. So, um, that's not that, that can't happen. Like there's no way something like that should happen. You just feel like, there was one really good team and everybody else. And this was a way to try to even the playing field a little bit. That's just kind of what you're feeling. Here. I don't see that kind of stuff happening now. I think in the Texas game, Texas got screwed more than anything. Like they, Texas, like some of those bad calls, Texas wins that game. Um, so yeah, I think it's more about incompetence. I just wouldn't give them enough credit that they could actually do something, um, that systematic where they're trying to, you know, most programs think that they're the team that they, you know, follow. Is getting hurt. I just think there's a lot of bad calls and it's mostly, uh, incomp- <laughs> incompetence more than anything, Robin. Um, let's see. We got Don. The offense looked like a beaten team just running onto the field. No energy, no confidence, no creativity. Freshmen were overwhelmed. They were five star kids. Ev- evidently they needed better coaching. Just one loss, but not, uh, first bad game. Yeah, you're right there. Sam and Tyler, Lewis, and next best need to practice together, reduce the situational practice time and concentrate on receivers. I'm sure you'll get tons of questions, emails like this. Biggest deficiency in Trojans is the play calling. Offensive game plan sucks. Very few quick throws with all the blitzing. There are receivers open. Let's hope T gets his head coaching position real soon. Next week would be acceptable. Defense played their butts off on offense, could not stay on the field. Yuchenna makes a big play and the offense can't get four yards. Pathetic. From Don. Yeah, I think we talked about just about everything on that one, Don, um, already. Uh, I don't think T. Martin's getting a head coaching job next week. Uh, so I'm sorry to say that, but you know, we, I, I, you know, you get to know these guys and you want them to be successful. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's not easy being a coach because you got to move all over the country, families uprooted, kids out of school. Like there's a lot of weird, you know, stuff going on. And T. Martin's wife is, uh, you know, involved in the music industry here in Los Angeles. So I think it would take a really good job for him to want to go. Um, I don't think there's a question that Butch Jones will be fired. Uh, I, you know, will Tennessee kind of go after that? I don't know. We'll see. Um, but you know, we wish him the best. We don't, you don't want to see these are 
people, you know, and these are their livelihoods and their jobs. But they do get paid a lot of money and they're open to criticism. And that's just part of uh, what they do. Just like us. We put ourselves out there. I give you my opinion. You're right to criticize me. You tell me I'm an idiot because you think because uh, I think they should do this or do that or whatever. We don't I mean, we're not in a vacuum here. We're, we put ourselves out there. Thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people are reading our stuff or listening to our podcasts or whatever it is. Read us on Twitter, you know, um, read our Facebook posts, read our tweets and all that stuff. We know that we put ourselves out there and we're subject to criticism. We can't just say, well, I give you an opinion, but I don't want to hear what you have to say. I mean, that's part of what we do. And those guys get paid a lot of money. They put a product out in the field. And if one area appears to be deficient and, and lacking, that that's you're going to get criticism there. And I think that's what you saw, uh, you're hearing from a lot of USC fans. Uh, Big Gene, significant and sustainable success always starts at the top. Clayton is a less experienced version of Mike Riley and will know and will know. He thinks he's will know how that's working out. And we know how that's working out in Nebraska, but will not, uh, we. Okay. So yes, Mike Riley is probably the nicest head coach in football and Clay Helton's right up there. I wouldn't say they're similar styles in that way, but they're both generally known as nice guys. You need a strong management team to make the adjustments and decisions necessary for prolonged excellence. The key is to not focus on the one loss, but evaluate the five game sample size, uh, which clearly points to the lack of quality on the management team, i.e. the coaching staff. Uh, it is too late in the process to radically change USC's philosophy. And unless coach Helton asserts himself, we are on a collision course for failure against Notre Dame, ASU and UCLA fight on from big gene. Yeah, this is not a team that should be losing to those programs. And the way they're playing right now, they certainly could. Um, you know, going on the road in Notre Dame is not going to be easy. That team looks better than what you thought. USC doesn't look as good as they thought. UCLA lost a couple in a row, but they, you know, they just won a big one against Colorado. They always get up for USC, Arizona State. Um, I think Manny Wilkins didn't have a great game last weekend, but the weekend before he was awesome in the win over Oregon. Um, it's going to be a dogfight, especially if you're playing this way. Um, and I love it when people kind of write in and they, uh, compare it to like, um, they're, they're talking about the management team and stuff. So I'm, I'm sure, I'm assuming Big Gene, you know, some kind of financial management, something like that. Uh, we had someone else write in. God, I think it was, he was a, I think it was a lawyer and there was, and he was kind of giving, um, analogies to, you know, if you're a lawyer, a doctor and blah, 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 and you're doing this poorly, you're not going to keep you around. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they, I think Clay Elton knows, even though he's not saying that, that some stuff has to change. If not, it might take another loss or two. The close, the wins that, you know, that are close that shouldn't be, and USC's one and four against the spread, with not a great indicator, but basically saying they're, they're mostly a bit underperforming throughout the year. Um, you know, if that's not triggering something, it might take another loss or it might take a couple losses. Who, I'm not sure, but, um, at this point, yeah, there's stuff has to change a little bit. Something's got to change. You can't keep doing the same thing you're doing and expect it to get better. Cause they, the one game they played well seems more like the anomaly. Now we thought that that might be the, that's the way they're going to play. And three games since then they haven't third down conversions have been terrible. Uh, the last three games, they got to make that better. They're not convert on third down. You're going to have a lot of trouble. We got Trent in Chandler, Arizona. I listened to the emergency podcast Saturday and would like to, okay. So, okay. So before I go into this, the whole point of the emergency podcast was for me to knock out a whole bunch of questions to get, get over the questions and get them out of the way and 
talk about them right away. And all it did was generate more questions. So I got, I think I kind of backfired on me. So I don't know if I'm doing these emergency ones anymore. Cause this is my second solo podcast of the week. And you guys, I mean, it's great. So many questions, but uh, it's just generating more. So he said, I'd like to give you my quick notes from the game. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about play calling, and it appears to me that many of the issues stem from an inability to make adjustments. On Thursday, the Packers started four guards in a center, so they employed a quick passing game to alleviate pressure from Aaron Rodgers. USC clearly should have done the same for Sam Darnold with three offensive line starters out. If Darnold is having confidence issues, Martin needs to give him easier passes to establish a rhythm. Maybe getting back under center from time to time to set up a play action would help. Finally, the staff appears adamant to play the starters the entire game, um, which I believe is limiting the ability of the receivers to perform when they are forced into action by injury. Thanks for all your coverage, USC, and fight on, uh, Trent in Arizona. Well, the receiver spot is actually the one spot where you can play a bunch of dudes. I think the the lack of rotation is on you know offensive line, uh, on the most positions on the defensive side of the ball. We have seen the receivers kind of come in um, and get playing time. So it's not like Tyler Vaughn's wasn't playing. He just wasn't playing enough reps. Um, so I'm not, I don't have an issue with receivers are in the games, you know, but they're targeting guys that have never been targeted, stuff like that. I kind of have an issue with, but your point about, okay. So the Packers had a bunch of dudes hurt. They had, uh, four guards in the center and they made it work. USC was making it work even with the, the starting offensive lineman. Uh, obviously Toa Lobendon didn't make the trip with a quick passing game early and they got away from it. And I'm not exactly sure why you would think they'd want to go back, do that even more once you got new offensive linemen in there. And I think, you know, under center and play action would be great. That's just not what this offense does. That's not their core competency. But if you're going to do pistol formation, play action, and that worked pretty well, I like that too. Um, but you didn't see as much of that either. Um, I, yeah, it's, I think there's good points, Trent. Um, I don't agree on the receiver uh, rotation stuff, but the other stuff, yeah. I think college coaching is so important, not just on the recruiting side, but you can out-scheme other teams. You can figure out ways to confuse and put the opponents who are 18, 19, 20 years old on the other side of the ball in weird positions where they have to make a decision and maybe act a little bit slower and they could make the wrong decision and completely, you know, whiff or make the right decision, but still not be in the greatest position. Um, I think that's, you can do that in college all day long. I think you can out scheme people all day long. And I think Mike Leach and his staff out schemed USC and that shouldn't happen. Um, it's not always about the players. I think it's too many times USC relies on some five-star athlete to make some great individual play, uh, like a Dory Jackson last year or whatever, you know, Sam Darnold at quarterback. And it doesn't always have to be that way. That's great that you have those athletes that you can make some amazing play, but they should be put in positions where, you know, your run-of-the-mill, <laughs> run-of-the-mill backup four-star offensive lineman can be in a spot where he feels comfortable and just do something that's simple for him to comprehend, give him a simple task. He, he executes it. He blocks the duties needs to block and, and a play runs behind him that works. So yeah, I agree with you there. That's, I, that's why I put a lot of this on the coaching. Eric and duck country. Do you think Clay Hilton could make a decision to change coordinators or is he too nice? So I think we talked about this, Eric. Um, 
I think at some point, yeah, but I don't, I don't ever see him making, he's not going to change like week six. Like he's not do, I, I don't see him doing that. Um, as far as get it, like letting somebody go, I could see like, uh, a change in titles or something or a change in duties, but not yet. Like there would be things would have to get pretty bad. I think for that to happen, I don't think he's too nice to make those kind of decisions. Um, but I think he might be a little more loyal, a little more, um, I guess loyal is the right way to put it, just to his guys than maybe you would want. Like a Jim Harbaugh, um, and we talked about, uh, you know, he'll get rid of dudes no matter what, you know, Saban, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I think Clay Elton still, you know, it's his second full year and you gotta feel comfortable in your own job, you know, and I think he's getting more and more comfortable. Um, Picking, you know, just getting more confidence in, Hey, I'm the head coach at USC and it's not just happy to be here time. It's, I need to make some really tough decisions time. And I know I might piss off somebody that I'm really close with and I know the guy's wife and all and their kids and all that stuff, but I need to make a change. I can get this guy who's, you know, proven to be blah, blah, blah at this school. I want to do that. And I think to make the team better, um, you hope he can do those kind of things. Um, we'll see, but I, I think as he, the longer he's in the job, it'll be easier because it's more about, you know, building up confidence and all that. We got a few more before my voice dies and actually got to go to practice. Uh, Brian from Escondido. Uh, my concern is that Coach Helton is, is and always was the problem. I feel this goes back to the beginning of last year. They were one and three and the team was horrible and coached even worse. Then a superstar Donald comes in and carries the team, essentially hiding the fact that Helton still is not a very effective coach. Now, when Darnold is slumping, the old coaching issues slash ineffectiveness are starting to show again. I'm just concerned that Coach Helton is still the same coach. We were calling for his head after a one and three start last year, but Darnold is so good. He temporarily has been able to cover that coaching fault up. Just my take. Interested in what you think. Thanks, Brian and Escondido. Uh, no, I don't think that's the case, Brian. I think that they did make a lot of changes last year. I think, um, Sam Darnold was one of the changes. Now, Sam Darnold can be the great eraser and fix a lot of the problems that you have. But I feel like the defense got more aggressive. I think that the offensive line played better. I think a lot of things happened, you know, um, and it wasn't just Sam Darnold. Um, the big question in a lot of USC fans who were very critical of Clay Helton in the beginning, they're coming out of the woodwork now. They were You were hearing from them even during the 13-game winning streak. But now they lost the game. You're hearing more of those people that, really didn't want Clay Hilton to be hired to begin with. And now, now we're hearing from all those people. Um, and that's the, that's what their biggest concern is. We see it on the parasol on the message boards is what happens when Sam Darnold leaves? Um, is this team going to be terrible? Like, is, does he just fix everything? And I definitely don't think that's the case. I don't think they have anybody close to him, uh, on the roster right now. And they're going to need to address that, uh, especially if he leaves. Uh, after this year, but I think coaching wise, they, they, things have to get better because even with Sam Darnold on the team, you're seeing this team struggle. And I think some of it's him not playing as well, but if it's all about, Hey, if Sam Darnold doesn't play that well, this team can't win. That's on coaches. Like he's a good enough quarterback to win. Even when he's not playing his best, you just got to put the guys in a position, uh, to do that. There's enough talent on this team. And like, you know, people say, you know, who in the Pac-12 wouldn't want to switch rosters with the USC? So you got that roster. You got guys injured. You still, it's still a great roster. You have to, as a coach, put these players who are young 
inexperienced into positions to allow them to win. And they should be able to do that. Jim B, love the podcast, doing a great job. I remember when Hilton first took over, they were having a Monday practice to develop the younger players, or is that my understanding? Are they still doing that? Uh, also, what happened to Murphy and Batiku? Are they hurt? Fight on Jim B. Hey, Jim. Okay, so, yeah, that was, man, I think that was a fall camp thing where instead of a two-a-day, they would have, like, an extra practice for the young players, but I'm not recalling off the top of my head, but uh, they'd still do like, they had a practice like on Monday, but it's more of a, we don't, we don't get to see what happens on Monday, but my understanding is it's more of like a kind of a walkthrough, really light sort of workout. We can only go Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Now they don't even allow us to watch Thursdays, which are fairly light um, workouts. Uh, we can talk to Clay Helton afterwards, but that's about it. So they're limiting kind of what we can see as far as, uh, but, um, Connor Murphy and uh, Wally Batiku, they had some opportunities to come in, especially when Porter Gustin got hurt. And I don't think either of them uh, lit the world on fire, to be honest. I mean, I think if if Connor Murphy was like just kicking butt, you wouldn't see Christian Rector playing that spot now. But Rector came in, his opportunities, and he made the most of it and played well. And so Clancy Penderas get him on the field. Uh, we're seeing those guys. They're not hurt. We're seeing them out there, but not in the same kind of levels that you would expect it's not just like porter goes down he's the backup he's going in he did at first but they found other guys that were playing better and they're kind of going with that so i think this is going to be part of their development get them more playing time and hope the light goes on because i i need to watch them more specifically just watch their spots but a lot of time when i'm watching them um it's about they're kind of getting eaten up by blocks so that's not what you want to see um, so they got to fight off blocks and, and kind of make some plays and hopefully they'll keep doing that. The more experience they get going forward. Okay. Let's see. We got two more Tommy, the Valley of the sun. He said, thanks. Um, nobody wants to come out and say it. Sam Darnold is costing us. Everybody keeps saying his wide receivers are young and inexperienced. He hasn't developed chemistry with them yet. He lost Juju Darius, blah, 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 blah. Uh, these are four and five star recruits. He's not the only quarterback who lost parts yesterday. Guess Wazoo, he was inaccurate and wild with his passes and didn't hit open receivers. I'm tired of everybody giving him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's not as good as we thought. Your guys' opinions, fight on Tommy in the Valley of the Sun. I don't remember, Tom, I might have brought this up with Coach Harvey Hyde too. I, I don't know if you sent it in twice or if I didn't do it, but um, yeah, Tommy, he's not playing that well right now, but it's not, uh, no, it's not like he's not that good. You saw, I mean, what happened last year, what he was able to do, the reason why NFL scouts are drooling over him, it's 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 there. That's that's who he is. That's the kind of quarterback he is. There's something not quite right, and it might be an injury. Am I, I don't know. We just don't know. But do I think – no, I don't think Sam Darnold um, is the problem. You want to roll with him whenever you can. You got a b- couple bad games or whatever, like that's fine. You're still – that's still your ace in the hole. Like you're still – this is still a Sam Darnold run team. Um, I don't know what you want to do. You want to put in that thing or something, but – Good luck with that. Well, you want to see what the offense looks like. I like Matt a lot. I think, you know, but Sam Darnold's special. And uh, I'm not, my opinion of that has not changed. Last one is John from San Jose. Where do you rank Clay Hilton among, uh, amongst the current group of Pac-12 coaches? Fight on. I think it's really hard. John, I mean, you're talking about, there's a few guys that might get fired. Um, you know, he's only been doing the job for a couple of years. It's, 
that to me, like ranking stuff, that's just not really my, my deal. Uh, we do it on the Pac-12 podcast kind of sometimes. Um, you know, who's better? Like, how do you say how good Willie Taggart is? Or how do you say how good, uh, Justin Wilcox is? This is his first year, you know? Uh, Willie Taggart looked pretty good. Then they lost a the game at Arizona State. You're like, what? Uh, that was kind of bad. Um, now he's got his quarterback hurt and his running back hurt. Uh, and they still won. And, you know, who knows? Like, he might be a really good coach. It's just hard to, I think it's just apples and oranges. It's hard to compare and contrast. And are you saying, like, if everyone had the exact same roster, which coach would be better? Or is it about the rosters they have and the, the divisions they're in and how they're playing and all? I mean, there's just, I think, a lot, uh, to all that. So it's really hard to, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, the best coaches I think in the league are probably, uh, Peterson and Shaw at Washington and Stanford, respectively. I think Mike Leach is showing a lot of progress this year, uh, but they've had some crappy years, not crappy years, crappy losses that really hurt his team and hurt the conference, uh, losing to FCS schools, um, just bad stuff where it brought everybody down. I mean, Washington State would go on a run after losing to an FCS school and beat all these Pac-12 teams. I mean, it just makes the whole Pac-12 look bad. So, this year he's not doing that. So there's some good progress there. Clayton won 13 games in a row. You know, not a lot of coaches have done that. So he beat David Shaw. He beat Chris Peterson heads, heads up. And those are the two guys I think are the best in the conference. So I think Clayton would be up there. But as far as like give him a number rank, uh, no, nah, I just, I don't know. I think it's really hard to do, hard to compare all that stuff. All right. Man. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this Peristyle podcast. I think my voice is done. So. Too many podcasts to start the week. Um, thanks for downloading them. Thanks for emailing us. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for texting in. Thanks for listening and uh, sending us your feedback. We do appreciate it. And uh, that's why I try to get to them all. So um, we'll see if we're going to do a recruiting podcast this week. But stay tuned for Keely and Shotgun for their um, their podcast coming up, which would be, um, uh, what's it called? So they're going to do the Family Feud podcast. And I now I just thought about just now, we normally do a game preview podcast. So I don't know if we're going to do something like that too. Uh, there's just too many. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.